hey, you know what? If you like this podcast that I appreciate you've not listened to yet because this is right at the start, but if you listen to this and find out you do like it, then afterwards go onto the computer or phone and search for The Lush Podcast. It's the podcast where Lush, unsurprisingly, The Lush Podcast, talk about the things that we think you'd be interested in hearing. So check it out. It's called The Lush Podcast. And the easy way to remember that, how I remember it, is it's a podcast made by Lush. Cool. Have a listen. I might even host one time. You never know. Probably not after this audition. Go on. Hi, and welcome to Tiny Revolutions at the Edinburgh Fringe, live from the Gilded Balloon. So please put your hands together and welcome on my first guest to the podcast, Jenna Friedman. (laughs) This is my lovely friend Jenna, who is doing a show at the Edinburgh Fringe called Miscarriage of Justice. Amazing. Um, So let's, uh, I mean, there's so much I can talk about. I don't know how we're going to do this in a half an hour between myself and Jenna. But already, and all the laughs. <laughs> can, I, can I tell them about our witches govern or not? Mm-mm. No, okay. Uh, so Jenna and I have known each other. <laughs> have known each other going back to the Fringe in 2015, I think, when you were doing your show called... American Cunt. That's right. And uh, great title already. And I was doing a show called Madman at the stand. And... Uh, we met and realized that we are basically the same brain stretched across a continent, I think. Yeah, with some variation, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I am... Uh, I'm more neurotic. You're more neurotic. I feel like I'm pretty needy, though, so... Oh. Yeah, you, Americans call it neurosis. We call it just basic neediness. Um, so your show this year, I know that you're talking about a lot of big issues. Uh, we share talking about reproductive rights, but I guess, firstly... Do you think that comedy can be a force for positive social change? Yes. (laughs) Yes, sure, of course. You know, it's it's the most democratic thing we can do. Sit in a room full of, that's overcrowded with people and exercise our, you know, peaceful democratic discourse. You know what I mean? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Do you guys know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Because some of the stuff that you're talking about in the show this year is quite raw, um, and I think that's why I think that's why it's been an emotional festival because there's obviously stuff happening in America at the moment, where I feel like your voice is quite urgent and powerful in a kickback against the sort of rise of the right in America. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's it's actually really scary because in our country we have a lot of people. Um, we have Nazis that we didn't know about a couple years ago. They're back. The Nazis are back. Uh, And um, we have people on the right thinking that comedians are the problem as opposed to, like, guns. (laughs) And it's a stressful, scary time there. And so it makes me feel like all the more reason to just, like, exercise free speech while we have it. Yeah. And you're going on every night and talking about new stuff that's coming up. Trying to joke about it. Trying to joke about it too yeah no you have to, of course your show's very funny yeah. i believe you have a rapier wit jenna i have a rapier wit <laughs> if you haven't heard cats out of the bag <laughs> my wit is 
the little ra rapier. I know that doesn't work because rapier is a noun, but yeah. Yeah, it was a male reviewer that said you had a rapier wit after watching. An hour of just like talking about murdered women and death yeah. and violence against women. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and true crime. And yeah. True crime. What a choice of words. Because um, you're, you're someone who sort of, I think, blends like your, your voice online, which is very much in line with your comedy, which I, I sort of hope mine is as well that um, you'll come out and you'll speak about stuff, but you also make really funny jokes about it. Also, you've got your Adult Swim specials, which are, you tread such, you do something that I could never do, because you maintain this kind of journalistic, um, it's not even integrity, although you do have integrity, it's um, the kind of deadpan journalistic ability. When you're interviewing people like a man who wrote about his fantasy of like cooking and eating his wife. Now here's the thing, I have a boyfriend, if Josh, my boyfriend, were like plotting to eat my friends and I found out, I'd be like, Josh, like I know, <laughs> I know what he can get away with. I know he's like, he doesn't like vinegar, so I don't think he would be into cooking women and eating them. Um, his palate is not very experimental. That said, so the I, interesting thing, oh, what? Yeah, no, no, go on, go on. <laughs> I'll let you speak. <laughs> Sorry, this no, was a, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll explain I'm that I'm not later. media trained. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say what I, what I loved about that was how you managed to hold back, because I know you would have been, there would have been like anger and hatred towards this man, and you somehow managed to make it look as if you were taking him completely seriously, like he should be heard, and then just letting him unravel himself and make himself look foolish. And it's a really hard skill, and it's different from stand-up, because on stand-up you always want to have the last word and you want to be the one making it funny, but in this you're kind of almost sitting back and just letting him. Because mm -hmm. I have ice in my veins, I'm not emotional at all, I never cry. But I don't want, it's, it is, you know, Podcasts are really disarming. And there's also, I think, an expectation of comedians now to overshare and for everybody to know everything about our personal lives. And I've never been comfortable with that. So I don't even like people to know anything about me as a person. I think on Twitter, you can tell I am emotional probably to a point. But I also, and like the, there's a lot of heavy stuff going on, but I also like a barrier because I just kind of want to think about what I say, put it out in the world and have people um, experience that as opposed to having to put like me and how they feel about me and like, but I guess that that's also, that's a debate going on uh, in our country having nothing to do with us, hopefully, but the idea of can you separate the art from the artist? And right now I think everything blends together because like people are commodified, but like I like that there's a barrier because I don't, because I am different to a degree than the work that I put out or the work that I put out is like a thoughtful presentation of what I want, but I think people just want to, they, they want to know you and they want things that you're not willing to offer and I don't like that. Yeah, I don't think that they have a right to it. Um, and I do think there are some things you have to hold back. I'm talking about something in my show this year that I'm talking about being a stepmother and even people in comedy seem to be shocked. They're like, are you a stepmother? And I was like, yeah, just because I don't necessarily reveal everything on stage about my life in intricate detail, obviously, there are personal threads going throughout. But I think it's quite hard for women in comedy. And um, I think this is an interesting discussion. When I was having meetings in America about pitching things, what they kept saying to me was, um, 
But what is your IP? So your intellectual property, what is your IP? What is the one thing that you can say that nobody else can that's yours? And I just People want to- said they asked you about your intellectual property? Yeah, the they IP? were like, what your IP, yeah. So your one thing, so IP being the hot so word. that's the new voice. It's, it's- they used to be like, what, or like, or like, it's like your voice, right? Right, yeah, your voice. IP or like, yeah, IP being, this is a story that you like, real stories? This is kind of a thing that's popular at the moment, I think, in American TV and film of like, is this someone's true life? Because there's so much true crime, which I know you talk about in your show. Mm -hmm. There's so much true, uh, true life stuff or people are interested in real stories that can be taken from, from someone's life experience. So your intellectual property. And I feel like this is a thing that's asked of women who write. We, it always has to be personal. It always has to be about us and who we are, and we have to be through it, whereas men can create worlds. Men can create worlds and art, and women are, uh, we're sort of expected to open up our emotional pain and our trauma and present that and constantly put it in our work. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it is hard. It's hard for everybody. Like, I, I, I had like a jokey premise of like, I feel bad for men, and then I got into it, and then I really, I, I like red-pilled myself. Like, I, I actually, you know, I think it's hard for everybody in different ways, but I think particularly in terms of like the way that like culture consumes women, it, it is more of the personal realm. And it's like, if we share our trauma, we're more likable and more relatable. Like, why do we have to, why do we have to put that on the table for people to like us? I think that is uniquely female. I don't think men have the expectation that they have to like bleed for people to like them because we get on stage or we put ourselves out there and we're already like at a negative. Yeah. Um, at least in, our, in, in my culture, for sure. Um, so that, I think, is uniquely female. But I do think, it, I mean, I do think, especially now, like, it, it's also, it's like, it's tricky for everyone in different ways, too. And it, it is hard, it is hard for men. It is hard for men. Like, for real, I know I th you think I'm joking, but it is, I think, in a lot of ways right now. Well, we're trying to navigate new terrain and, uh, unpack I think centuries worth of ideas around consent all of it and, um, and sexuality like, like and gender in general I think it, it is uh, it's kind of suffocating to everybody um, you know like a lot of men were like raised to not be in touch with their emotions and to not cry and to be a man which is like uh, just a social construct and I think uh, the stress of that I mean look like I have a joke about how like you know, men are so good at killing women, but we still live longer. <laughs> but because men kill each other and men die of heart disease and like, like the physiological stresses on being a man and not being able to like, act, like to express yourself are, it, it is really hard. They are real and they do exist. I mean, I- Men I, are people too, Tiffany. Men are people, I know. Well, I got in trouble on Twitter for a joke that I did about I sort of said how society views depression in men versus women. And I said, in men, it is like uh, deep, tortured genius, understanding of societal ills, you know, thoughtful. In women, it's mad, probably has cats, buzzkill, annoying single. Um, shut the fuck up. 
Like that's like, and, and so it was like a kind of, it was a joke, but then one that I was forced to defend to the hilt because people come on and said, you're diminishing male depression. I said, I'm not, I know it's real and it's a big thing. What I'm saying is how society views it. And we can look back historically, even through famous people, if we view how someone like Michael Hutchins was viewed versus Paula Yates, uh, Ted Hughes and Sylvia Plath, you know? So uh, I was sort of unpacking that, like how we tend to, we've got better at talking about it, but for a long, long time, women were just batshit and annoying. And men who had depression were seen as being like kind of scholars and thinkers and, and deep. And so I got a lot of kind of crap for that. And then I kind of got the male suicide rates batted back at me. And then I was like, but you do know that women like attempt at the same rate, it's just men are more successful. Is this the victory we're looking for here? So <laughs> I feel like all women before like definitely before 1950 how could you not be depressed like they're all like you're literally second-class citizens I mean women didn't have access to credit cards in our country until 1974 uh, two of my friends have this audible audiobook called the indignities of being a woman where they just go through like history and look at like the most insane things um, in different like facets of society like medicine or uh, entertainment or whatever and the stuff that they came up with was so, it just made me feel, even in a post-Trump era, how lucky to be like a, I guess, cis white lady living in the quote-unquote global north in, in 2019. Like you just, you're like, oh my God, it was so much worse for so many women all throughout recorded history. Yeah. Like if you, you, if, if you wanted to read a book during the Victorian era, like, you could get a diagnosis of hysteria and have your husband and your father submit you to a mental institution where they would lobotomize you and you'd have the mental capacity of a four-year-old for the rest of your life. Well, actually, they would... We've come a long way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> They'd probably freak you off first. That was the first... Um, they had those giant dildos, which... Now, if I get diagnosed with depression now, I'm fobbed off with some Prozac. Where's my frig off? That's what I'm saying. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was one of the... Um, that was one of the therapies because they believed madness in women began in the womb hysteria. Um, so uh, and it wasn't until I think 1999 that the clitoris was like discovered or something. Oh, I mean, there's a bit in my show where they, yeah. where they, um, uh, like sorry, for, for years. Is, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but for years, um, yes, it was thought that women achieved orgasm uh, vaginally, which is not how women from male achieve. laughter. That's actually. <laughs> That's how we achieve orgasm, Ed. No pressure, Ed. <laughs> that is the next guest up on the podcast that Jenna is referring to there. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, I mean, it's terrifying. You have people like Rosemary Lobotomy, uh, Rosemary Lobotomy, I was about to call her them. You have people like Rosemary Kennedy, who was too high-spirited and lobotomized. Rosemary Lobotomy sounds like your, like, burlesque feminist act. <laughs> I'm doing that next year at the Fringe. Oh my God, Rosemary Lobotomy. Where you just like collapse on men in the audience. Yeah. Um, yes, that's what happened to her. She was like deemed as high spirited and I think she was 21 or 22. And then they just mentally incapacitated her and she was like doubly incontinent. They stuck her in a home and the rest of the Kennedys carried on. It's not that far back in history. I think there were two men who traveled around America with this lobotomizing cure. We should find that out. I might fact check that after who they were. But there were two very specific doctors and there were families with money. I mean, one, I guess one of the, it might be, you might have been better off being poor then because your family wouldn't be able to afford the, um, 
the, the, the price of the, pick, the pick yeah to your the brain. ice pick to the to the temple I mean we're laughing it's just so it's grim so awful. I know and then all the f- women in like the 50s were just given Valium if they were like I don't know yeah my I found out my grandma my dad's side just like was on Valium for like half of her life and she was a scientist she was like one of the first female physical therapists in the country right I didn't really know her that well but she just was this is sad for you guys <laughs> will this Edinburgh show get a good review <laughs> sorry I know um, I sound bitter it's just 36 yeah it's not it's not it's not bitter I mean it, I think now's a, a more important time than ever to be talking about this stuff I said to Desiree yesterday I wish like I think I would love to be a one-liner comic, but I wish I had the luxury of just being able to talk about anything. But I feel like there's so much urgent and important stuff. So do you feel that drive more than anything? Do you, do you wish you could do a different style of comedy or do you, are you like, no, I have to talk about these things? I love exactly what I'm doing. I, 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 I'm here because I just have stuff I, I need to say and I need to make it funny for people to swallow it. And the show is exactly what I want it to be. I just kind of, I'm very proud of it and I hope I get to tape it and um, I just hope to tape it at the best version of it and every single show is getting better and I feel so lucky to be able to do this here. Um, Yeah, so I'm doing exactly what I want creatively. That's good, yeah. Because sometimes (laughs) I think, no, no, and it's it's brilliant, you know, I think that. Sometimes if I write something else that is outside of the narrative of stand-up, so whether it be a character piece or on a script or something, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is so freeing. I can just be, I can just be funny. It's not this like personal attack. It doesn't carry the weight of my ideology and my political opinions yeah. and everything else. And um, sometimes I realize how freeing that can be. Um, you can also find that in the stuff too. Like I remember when we did the Adult Swim show, like there was this moment where we were, we have a segment where we basically sexually harassed with consent a bunch of guy gamers where we put them in a room and then put them in a VR game that looked like the same perspective of the room that they were in. And in VR, there was, we hired a porn star who um, jerked off into a plant. And they're in the actual room and he's not in the actual room, but I am in the actual room. And so when the porn star takes his pants off, I had like a hot dog, also a vegan dog in case any of them were vegans. And we also pre-interviewed them to make sure they didn't have any trauma or anything going in. And we made sure that they felt safe the whole time. But I was like poking them with the hot dog. And they're just like, (laughs) you can have silliness in like the heaviest things too. And that to me is like, it was so fun. And also the porn star that we hired, like, we were, I guess the term is getting him to pop in the plant. We didn't, we couldn't have him like. Oh, him to pop. We couldn't have him really pop, but I was like, but he did have to fully jerk off in front of them. And, and I started directing him and then he couldn't get hard. And so we. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't get it, he couldn't get hard. And so then I wrote, I was like, this is really funny, your inability to perform with a female talking at you. Um, so can we write this into the script? And so in the show, I'm literally like, James, um, this is a really important piece on sexual harassment. Can you just get hard? We're all waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so playful and fun. But then it was like, it was serious, but we had so much fun. Yeah. It's such a great piece of work. I mean, I, I'd advise It's on YouTube. We put it, I put it on YouTube. I can't believe they haven't taken it down yet, but I put it on YouTube because I just want anyone to see it. If you Google Jenna Friedman on sexual harassment, thankfully that's the first thing that comes up. And the <laughs> only thing. Yeah. 
It's great. And that's where I think, um, you know, uh, that's why I wanted you on this podcast, because I know you are actually doing uh, comedy that will affect change. Has anyone seen that and had their mind changed? Has anyone watched that show or a stand-up show? Have you ever had an email from someone saying, oh, you changed my mind on this, or thank you for talking about this thing, I, I feel heard or I feel seen? And then, or, like, the dick pic is right under it. Yeah. Um, uh, Next to a Coke can so you can get a size gauge. Yeah. No, The one of the guys in the segment asked me for an internship, so I thought that that was cool. <laughs> I thought that was cool. I mean, look, it's so hard because we're so far gone and so in trouble. But there are tiny little... I think that, I mean, because everyone asks us, but we're, we're so in trouble, in trouble culturally with what's going on in the world. But I do think, like, you know, you can either use art or comedy, whatever you want to call it, depending on how many people laugh, to, like, make people feel less crazy, make people feel less alone, uh, connect people to a community. I think with the Adult Swim Show, I have an opportunity to talk to, like, 18 to 20-something-year-old boys who are going online, and they are being radicalized because... They want to be edgy and they want to be taboo and the only options open to them are like coming from the right. So I, with the Adult Swim Show specifically, was like, I want to tackle issues that you would call, you know, leftist issues, but I want to do it in a really playful, edgy, funny way that meets them at their level. And so I feel like in that, and I, I mean, the next one, I, I'm a little nervous about it because I think I have an idea that's a little scary. But um, yeah, no, I think, I, think, I think it's exhausting and I think if people do want to, try to use art or comedy to inspire people in a positive way. It's 100% possible and great. Yeah, sometimes it's about catching those voices because you can preach to the converted and um, definitely in your show, you've had women coming out going, I feel heard. I know that. I've seen it online from this year's show you're doing at the Fringe and I'm having sort of uh, women come up to me and go, oh my God, I loved it. And We both, and have, like, we both have PhD uh, like... I, I had a, um, a quantum physicist like in my PhD show. PhD candidates tweeting at us. <laughs> we'll like text each other, be like, oh, Women this PhD are... person liked my show. <laughs> <laughs> Showing off, like, who's got the most highbrow audience? Um, but also in my show, there are bits, I mean, and, and at the top I have to address, I have to sort of come out and say I love men, and I can't believe I'm having to do this because oh, it's 2019. But you do. I do. But in shows, I like, and it's that kind of thing of going, I'm going to talk about stuff that affects women, and I'm going to talk about some men, and I don't want them all getting triggered thinking I hate them all and I want them to die when I only hate some of them, want them maimed. Um, but, you know, <laughs> but very specifically and quite cleverly, uh, my fiancé, who's also the director of my show, kind of went through and went, think about who you want to hear this message. And so we kind of went through and very carefully, like it's it's... I want to say artfully done because I do think stand-up is art, you know. But we took points of the show and we went, okay, here, we just need to change a word or two because I don't... And it's not pandering. It's not pandering so that men don't feel... It, but, it, but it is kind of going, there are men coming who I want to hear the messages yeah, in the show. Yeah, you have to soften. I have a line that says, I don't want to... I, I froze my eggs when Trump became president. And I don't even know if I want kids. I just wanted to, like support a technology that might someday render men obsolete. <laughs> and I had to take it out of the show because I think it upset my target demo of men. And then, like, so there are little things, but I think that's, 
that's like why the like the thing about Edinburgh with all the reviews is good because it's like if you get a review from a guy and, and he's not seeing the show it's annoying but then you take a step back and you're like how can I make him see the show and if I can make him see the show then it could be that much more powerful that said I hear what you're saying about like some shit is not for them yeah and so it's like how do you where is the how do you if all the criticism is filtered through men how do you reach your audience of women how do, can you make it pass through them to get to who you wanted to get to which yeah. is a whole separate podcast <laughs> but I do think it actually kind of reminds me when I was working at Letterman I had Dave and I had a kind of similar sensibility because he had a darkness and all the jokes that I was getting on were my top ten jokes that I would write that he would read directly but then there were like six producers between me and him that were like curating the content right. and so and they were looking at the sketches and one of the first sketches I almost got on, it was like when like, I think, I think it was like women in Saudi Arabia were like maybe allowed to run for office or something. So I wrote this sketch about like, they're already campaigning. There was like two women in Saudi Arabia run. It might be inappropriate now, but they were running against each other and they just looked the same. Why? Because they were in burqas. <sighs> it just doesn't hold up, does it? Ugh! That was 2011. Anyway, and then it was like a really cool piece. It was like weirdly a little feminist and like it fit in the canon of the show. And then at the last minute, it got taken out for like found footage of a guy getting hit in the nuts with a baseball. And it was just like the segment was called like ouchie or something. And then <laughs> you just saw the guy and like it was like circus music. Like, dun, 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 dun. And they were just like, sorry, that's just what's going in. <laughs> Ouchie. Or something. Or it was like Yelza. Or just something. <laughs> it was like dun, 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 dun. anyway, whatever. Um, but I think I think it is also for like uh, women in entertainment or women content creators or women at the fringe in the tiniest microcosm of it. It's like if you're trying to reach a demographic, but the gatekeepers or the curators are predominantly a different demographic, how do you cut through, no, how do you slice penetrate. your rapier? You don't penetrate. want to say penetrate, do you? How do you consensually? When you start thinking about it, everything is penisy. Yeah. How do you <laughs> fuck the shit out of them to get to your target demo? Whose dick do you have to suck to get women to see your show, Edinburgh? No, it's selling out, it's great. That, that's, that's a nice line. Yeah. Should I tweet that? Yeah, tweet it. At uh, after the interview, though, at Scotsman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we start reviewing the reviewers. There was a website that did that a few years ago called Fringe Pig, and it was very, very funny. Because it's not just me. I mean, we're all like narcissistic little people, but um, a lot of my female friends have been posting weird things. Like a friend of mine who's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant comedian, she just got like a really sexist review, and then some woman actually corrected it and was like, "Hey, this is a really substantial, brilliant performer. Don't lump her in with some." guy who like whatever it just yeah so yeah. i think that they're i think talking about it even if it doesn't benefit you is still helpful to other women like rape your wit was what i was what I, it was in doubt to me and it's a really it's it, it was a compliment and there was actually no ill will but i think like if your show is literally about like violence against women and how we like think about like i don't know i just want reviewers to like think extra critically about people who don't come from where they're coming from when they're reviewing. Check their unconscious bias. Check their unconscious bias for, you know, for the next generation of those sprightly 20-somethings. I have had a review where someone was upset that I wasn't singing and dancing in my show. That was, that was very funny, actually. But it ended with, like, for what it's worth, she's a brilliant musician. I don't play an instrument. I do think there should be a level of, like, who is allowed to critique here? Because if you sit on the front row and you get out your big bumper pad and a crayon, I'm not sure that you're qualified <laughs> to kind of write about the thing that I've 
crafted and created, but it did make me laugh because it was just, it was so ridiculous. So, yeah. Um, do you think laughter can unite people? Do you think it's more important than ever during these kind of, like, choppy political times? Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think comedy, the comedy social change stuff, I'm just like, it's, it's all consuming because everything's all consuming. So it's like, yeah, like, let's keep doing it. Let's all, let's all just try to laugh, laugh the Nazis away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask you one more question. Um, because I asked this to, uh, 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 do you think there's ever a point where it's too late to change someone's mind? Or people that you think they're not even worth pursuing, it's not for them. Can I even change their minds? This Let me just say, even if you're not a comedian and you're listening at home, uh, jerking off to us, um, <laughs> even something I have found that like men can do uh, online, like so the alt-right trolls, the one thing that that penetrates them weirdly is comedy. Like they are so sensitive. So um, if they're trolling someone, you're just like, oh, you don't get the joke. Like for them to not get the joke, because they, they see themselves as these like edge lords. Like the Nazis see themselves as these like edgy dudes now. And it's like, you're not edgy. You're like Borscht Belt. You're like so like old school, you know? And I think if we could just like, make it uncool again. Like, there's something weird about that yeah, that I think... you don't get it. Oh, you, you don't get the joke. Like, they, and the reason a lot of uh, young guys are turning to, like, the alt-right online, I think, is because they think they can be edgy and funny there. And I think it's rooted, actually, in comedy. Like, Donald Trump, for a lot of these guys, started out as a joke. And they thought it was funny to support him. And then you just kind of... That's how you become more radicalized. So if you can, like, almost use comedy to be like, oh, that's so played out. That's, like not cool or funny anymore. What's funny is like helping people survive. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jenna. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, oh, it's so nice to talk out. to you um, in a recorded way. Uh, give it up for Jenna. Thank you very much, Jenna. And Jenna's show is on at the Assembly Rooms at, uh, is it 9.15? 9. 9.20 Assembly 5. 9.20 Assembly 5 uh, for Jenna's show. There's something you need to hear. Our wildlife is under attack like never before. In a new 12-part series, Charlie Moores and Ruth PC explore the concept of a war on wildlife. With special guests and short interviews with activists, researchers and campaigners, this one is not to be missed. Find it where you find podcasts, as well as on the free Lush Player app, and you can even follow at War on Wildlife on Twitter. (laughs) 